I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fetchdock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Are you looking to bridge the gap between your executive team and that emerging leadership that you know one day is poised to be the next tier of leadership in your company? Well, you should make sure that we have a conversation about the High Level Wisdom Workshop. It's a fun intensive that is one day on your grounds, working with your best and brightest of executives and that emerging leadership to come together to talk about communication, building out knowledge roadmaps, and more importantly, how do we ensure that we have successful transitions in our companies so we don't lose our institutional knowledge? If you want more information, feel free to reach out to me, Chris, at highlevelwisdom.com. You know, it's amazing to me today how many companies struggle to get their marketing teams and their technology teams to work in sync. What's also interesting to me is how many companies today are so large that they don't have time to focus on the future. They only really kind of focus on maintaining what they have today. And I know you as an executive really would like to carve out time in order to work on tomorrow's portion of your company today. Well, I tell you, there's a company that can really help you get into that and make the fortunate discoveries that you need right now. You want to insert Serendipity Interactive. This company is all about making sure that while you are working on today, they're helping you build out what you need to make the fortunate discoveries for your future. If you want to know more about how they can help your company, feel free to go to www serendipityinteractive.com that's serendipityinteractive.com hey we're looking for more ceos that's right as you hear on our show many times you've had a chance to hear so many different ceos who have talked to us but we're always looking for more interesting ceos who are doing some really great best practices to pass down that knowledge to the next tier of their organization Feel free to reach out to us if you know someone who might be interesting or an influencer or who has something that might be important to executives. You can send me an email at chris at highlevelwisdom.com or you can go to our website, www.highlevelwisdom.com and leave us a note. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome. This is the greatest show to talk about how we're bringing together CEOs and millennials in one place in order to discuss institutional knowledge. And I'm so thankful for your time today. Now, listen, if you did not get an opportunity to hear part one of my interview with the CEO of the Predictive Index, his name is Mike Zanni. I want you to go back, listen to it. If this is your first time, welcome. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, however you found us, uh, I, I'm, I'm very curious. So why don't you send us some information? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at High Level Wisdom as a handle. Follow us. Make sure you subscribe to our show wherever you podcast. But listen, this is part two. And I got to tell you, if you enjoyed part one, 
this is definitely going to take the cake because Mike gives us so much insight onto his mindset and his thinking. And more importantly, he helps us understand how companies can use the data that they use in the predictive index. Now, remember, it's a software company that helps you understand what drives your people. So this is definitely a great behavioral assessment tool. If you're not using it already, you should definitely consider it. But I want you to take an opportunity right now out of your time, invest in listening to part two of my interview with Mike Zanny, the CEO of the Predictive Index. Let's shift this conversation to the executive because the executive has a huge part to play in this entire understanding. I believe, and I'm sure you would know this a whole lot better than I, I do. So please feel free to speak to this. But, you know, you you guys are having whole companies come to you with their problems, right, with their ideas. They're wanting you to solve something and they may not know what it is, but they know that you all are reputable enough to be able to come and say, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Help us figure that out. Right. And so let's let's shift gears from the millennial and talk about the boomer executive. Let's talk about the other CEOs and that first tier of of, of executive uh, a group that you guys interact with on a consistent basis from all of these large companies that, that you all have a chance to work with. What would you say maybe some of the uh, common themes or threads that you see as mistakes that maybe some executives are making when it comes to understanding and truly uh, leveraging uh, a behavioral assessment tool like the predictive index? Well, I, I think with with specifically with uh, with using behavioral tools, um, the, the C-suite needs to realize that they are the chief cultural officers, especially the CEO. They are defining culture in that organization, and they, 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 they don't even know it. They build a management team that reflects the culture that they want. They hold that management team accountable to the culture they want, and they're doing it. In, in a way that impacts the entire organization, they're setting that tone. And I, I think it's, it's so important for them to realize what they are transmitting. Um, because I, I really think when you look at, at today's marketplace, the, uh, this is something that um, you know, Jeff uh, Weiner, uh, Weiner, the founder of LinkedIn, he says the, you know, the, the employee contract has shifted. It used to be this, you know, lifetime employment 30, 40 years ago. Sure. And clearly now we have broken that contract. Right. Lifetime employment is is not in play. Really we have what he calls tours of duty, where people are sort of thinking two to three years out, here's I'm gonna, you know, uh, hitch myself to this wagon, which is a company, and there's got to be a quid pro quo which is the company gets something and you get something. And if, 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 if that economic value proposition isn't there, if the company doesn't get something, you're going to be get gone because you're not adding value. And if, right. if they're not adding something to you, you're going to get gone because you've got other opportunities. So things like that relationships are so important and really, really putting, um, the 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 importance of the why we are working 
you know, that Simon Sinek, I think, says it, says it incredibly well when he says you start with why. Leaders today have to realize that if they don't start with the big why, why we're doing something, so that they are tapping into that, you know, passion, that alignment with the, the big ideas and the objectives of the company to get all of that free discretionary effort. I mean, it's really free. If you start with a really compelling why, your employees give so much more, they bring so much more to the table, and you're setting, you're setting the stage for them to go the extra mile, to care about your customers, to, to treat the company money like their money, to treat the company's problems like their problems. And that, uh, that engagement in the, in the company's goals really starts with that big why. And it's interesting, most millennials who are in, in, in positions today, don't, they, don't, they don't get to define the why, because they're dealing with the how and the what. Exactly, that's true, yep. But they, they, you need to tie it back to the why, so they understand the, you know, what they do every day and how they do it really has an impact on the big, on the big why. And I, I think you can gain insight. When, you, when I sit down, I sit down annually, with um, not only my direct reports, but also um, the people who report into my direct reports. And I talk to them about their careers. And I always have their psychometric data in front of me so I understand what makes them tick. And I want to talk to them proactively about their career paths. And I, I, I'm talking about the why, but I'm interested in the what and the how and where they want to go. And their own personal, you know, their, their personal goals, and when you when you get there, they know they know I care about them, and the, the I think the leaders that invest in the culture, the leaders who invest in explaining the why, the leaders who invest in their in their young people's careers, are going to get a lot healthier tours of duty. They're going to get repeat tours. They're going to get great references on places like Glassdoor. They're going to get more discretionary output from, from these people who don't have to go that extra mile. Um, and they're, they're going to just unlock all sorts of value. And Absolutely. I think it, yeah, yeah. I think you, and I think you bring up a good point because uh, I love the analogy of tours of duty because you're right, we have broken the mold. Um, I will say this, though, um, going back to the assessment that you did for me, I think if someone is tapping into understanding, right, the individual and they're learning what makes them tick, I think the loyalty and retention shoots up pretty high because if I feel like, which is most people, right, but using my assessment as an example, if I feel like Mike, my boss is really tuned into me. He's really given me opportunities to grow and learn and ask probably a lot of questions. Right. If I'm if I'm trying to, you know, understand what I need to do. Um, it's difficult to leave great relationships. Uh, we all know that people don't quit jobs. People quit people. So they're not working for a company just because of the company. It's the relationships that they have internally that somehow has has fused in a sense of responsibility, understanding more of the why um, that makes it very, very difficult a lot of times to to uh, just up and walk away from the company. If, you know, the right settings are right, that internal 
focus is right. So I'm interested as you were talking, help help our executives understand why predictive index. There's a ton of other tools out here um, that they could be using. But why should an executive that is listening to our show today really take a step back and say, you know what? We actually need to put into play for our own team using the predictive index and being able to leverage it. Why should executives, especially now in today's world where we have what almost three to four different generations in a lot of our companies nowadays working together? What is it that an executive gains from leveraging the predictive index on themselves? Well, I would I would first start with um, we're often selling against ignorance, and I would start with not just why the predictive index, but why behavioral and cognitive assessments. Interesting. Okay. I because I I, 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 I I start there and I say. If you're a sports fan out there, you know about saber metrics in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know about all of the data that is coming off of, you know, we, we find out wins against replacement and right. <laughs> all of this data, which helps us manage our teams. Right. What is managing teams? It's, you're managing high-performing high teams, and that is your hum, through human capital. That We can now bring that data, that saber metrics, into your organization. And so use it because you can find out how to get, make sure that people are going to fit for their, be a fit for the role that you're either going to hire them for, promote them for, or migrate them into. You can make sure that they can better communicate up, down, and across. You can make sure that they understand the team dynamics of the teams they might be on because they might feel like a black sheep on that team. And it's sort of, you know, first and foremost, do that. And if I run into a client or someone who's using behavioral and cognitive assessments well, and it's not our system, and it's working for them, I'm like, great. But the, the reason I would say to use, to use us is, you know, what, we're a fantastic company to work for, with, and so they, they understand that we're providing, you know, the best-in-class tools. That, our assessment takes six and a half minutes but provides tremendous data. So you can use it on every employee. You can use it for employees' spouses. You can use it for, you know, your, your lawyer, your banker. You should, you, you should push it early into the hiring process. It's so lightweight that it, it's not a big impediment. And when you have that data, you can really craft your team's counsel your people, and make sure you're getting all that, the, the fit, the, the interpersonal dynamics, the team dynamics, which are, which are really those macro levers that, that you as a leader have. You know, if you're the manager of the, the Boston Red Sox, you know, you're trying to get those 25 players to, to put the best, have the best chance to win that day. That is the exact same thing you're doing as a leader, no matter the size of your company. You're trying to assemble your team into the right shape, format, offense, and defense, and lineup. So they, they attack your market against your competition in light of all of the environmental impacts that are thrown at you in the best way you can. Um, and you just, you got to use tools to help you do this. Absolutely. So 
so you, you, you touched on something and I would love to get your deeper understanding on it, because as we all know, an executive could be listening right now and saying, Mike, I hear you. And I agree. <laughs> but we all know who the real 500 pound gorilla in the room is when it comes to all of our companies. It's our HR department. <laughs> and we also know that with a lot of HR departments, it is probably fundamentally one of the hardest areas to change for a lot of reasons. Right. What what advice would you give to some of those HR executives um, who who know that, you know what, our hiring process probably sucks right now? It's just no way around it. Right. And we're churning people left and right. We get them in. We, we you know, razzitaz them. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're burning them out quickly and and they're off to somewhere else. What would you say to an H.R. executive who is who, who may be aware that they are somewhat of sometimes the bottleneck and the issue with the hiring process itself inside of some of these, you know, whether you're a large or small company? But they want to change it. They want to do something. What practical advice would you give them and how could they leverage PI to, to help them with that path? Because it, as an HR exec, they're kind of sitting in the middle right there between their peers. And they're also having to manage up to the CEO to say, look, we've, we've got to change fundamentally what we're doing. How, how would you speak to that person? Well, firstly, I would I would thank the the HR executives on the phone because it's an underappreciated job. It's, a, it's usually an understaffed cost center, underappreciated, and it, their correspondence with the company are often most the, deleted, the most deleted emails in every organization. So I, I you know, thank them for the yeoman's work they're doing, but I, I would say that use, use data that is now available to you. It, what, psychometric data in the form of behavioral and cognitive, uh, their engagement survey data that they have, use this data to get a seat at the strategic table, at the board table. You know, we're seeing this clearly in, in Western economies where, you know, high labor jobs are migrating to lower cost areas, we're, we're people businesses, we're idea businesses, and your people and ideas are that most important asset. Use that data to get at the table. It's happened in every other industry. You know, you look at marketing used to be the, you know, going to trade shows and having a, the pithy slogans, and now they're being run by people who know how to maximize inbound lead programs through HubSpot, which all comes from data. You know, the sales engines have gone the same way. The, You've seen data impact almost every other department. That's right. ERP systems in finance, manufacturing with their process control systems. This is HR's time to stand up and get a seat at the table because they're in charge of the most important asset. Don't just be viewed as a cost center, but truly be be viewed as the single most strategic lever. And I think really enlightened CEOs are going to realize this and start putting their best and brightest strategic people into this role. And if you if you if you haven't uh, you know read Work Rules by Laszlo uh, uh, Bach from who's the chief human resources officer at 
uh, at Google, you got to do it. It's you know it it, it it this person is approaching it in the right way, and I think you can see what it can be, and it's not someone who pays payroll, accrues for days off, and does the employee manual. It's it's something infinitely bigger than that. Absolutely. So then why do you think, in your personal opinion, the HR departments are the hardest part of the ship to change? Well, it, it can be that if you start with, um, you know, we've actually looked at this uh, from a behavioral perspective, a lot of junior HR um, individuals, uh, they don't they don't have the uh, the risk tolerance, and they don't have the the high dominance factor to impart change. They're great executors. They're often very interested in people, but they don't have that that sort of entrepreneurial, strategic, tear the wall down, change element, and you, it, especially in early career. And that's what ends up happening is you, say you're a 50-person company, a 100-person company, you hire your first HR exec, and it's not an exec, it's a manager or director. It's really managing payroll. It's, that person is not going to slowly graduate into being that strategic leader. Sure. You need to put someone in there who's going to blow up the way you think about it. So I, I would say that it, 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 it may not be someone who you, you, you come in and you change the way you think about it. And if you look at, I keep going back to the, the, the baseball piece, but most, you know, you've got, you've got your manager, but then you have the GM behind the scenes who is, is, is doing the people strategy. You know, they're making the trades. They're, they're doing the big free agency deals. That's where they put. That's where they put their best strategy. You know, strategy guy is in is in the role that is finding the best talent for your organization. And when someone does a poor job, they don't change it. They blow it up. They put a new person in it. <laughs> right, that's and, true. <laughs> uh, they, they they're not trying to evolve it. They they absolutely just blow the whole thing up. So, it it obviously depends on what kind of organization you are. I'm not trying to get. HR people fired all over the country <laughs> because they're not willing to change. Right. But I am I'm I am willing to smack a CEO in the head or two to say think about your human capital strategy much differently. And if your department won't change, do what's necessary to make that change because this is this is a resource that you can't ignore. So there's there's a lot to that that I want to uncover because something that I think about as another layer of what you're talking about is, well, some people may say, well, Mike, you're true, but um, it's not really just the human capital part. It's the technology disruptors that we're having to our company that's changing how we have to look at our people design. That's changing how we have to look at our people strategy. What would you say to to, to those folks who are it's not just the change of the talent themselves, but it's all of the different entrances that they're having inside of their company that they're, that is kind of an indirect indication or indirect factor of um, the type of person that they hire. Because I think um, some companies kind of fall in one or two buckets and you tell me if you agree. 
I think from what I've seen and the CEOs that we talk to, not only on the show, but the ones that I talk to who have agreed to talk to me, but maybe not on air, <laughs> but they definitely give me their opinion. I think some companies fall in one or two buckets. Either the company is so large and working on so much that right now they're just kind of in a current phase. They only they're so busy working on the current. They don't have time to think about the future. Right. Or the company is straddling the fence between getting the current day to day work that needs to be done and figuring out how in the world do we even think about the future of where we're going. And I think those two dynamics can be fascinating, especially when you start talking about what does your talent pool look like? Because now you're, you're if you're working in kind of just the current day to day, we're just we're trying to crank and continue to, you know, quote unquote, meet the number or uh, continue to live up to our, you know, our, our cultural norms. You, you don't have time to think about the future, but you do know that the people you're hiring should I continue to hire maintain it kind of folks, right? Or to your point, at somewhere down the line, as you said, you might have to, you know, tap a couple of CEOs on the shoulder and say, look, you gotta start thinking about the future and you might need to be the one who blows this up and not hope that the person sitting there now as an HR executive is doing that. What kind of I guess from 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 your perspective, how is some of those technology disruptors that you guys have seen over time working with different companies impacting people's um, hiring behaviors? Well, I, I so I'll, I'll take the the capital strategy where you put your money and the people strategy where you put your people and the companies that just take their their capital and people strategy and just. You know, they, they tune it by five. This, this department goes up 5%. This one goes down 5%. And they, 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 they barely move people around. They're sort of in that maintaining perspective. They vastly underperform companies that really deploy capital and people much more boldly, where they are, they're making this budget's going down 90%. This one's going up 210%. You know, and they are they are they are deploying capital and people in very aggressive, non. I'm not sure if symmetric is the right word, but they're not trying to balance this. Oh well, your budget last year was this. I'll give you a little more, a little less. <laughs> right, they're really right. they're really pulling levers and responding because if 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 you're trying to maintain this current phase. You're, you might not even know it, but you're in deep doo-doo. It, 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 you are being attacked from places you have no idea. Sure. Um, we're, we think we're about third largest globally in, um, in, in behavioral assessments. And we are not worried about number one and number two. That, that's, those, those entities are working for, they're, they're plugged into bigger lumbering companies. We're worried about the startups, hmm. the ones who are trying to break all of those rules, who who are inventing or have invented or are starting to piece together something that's going to blow the market away. Interesting. So we we definitely are focused on you know being as nimble as we possibly can and being really receptive to that change. That I do find those large 
current phase companies as you put them, they they are going to get passed by. Um, and there's that old parable about the uh, you know two hikers go into the woods um, and they see a bear and one of them bends down and takes his hiking boots off and puts on his running shoes and the guy says you can't outrun a bear. He goes, I don't need to outrun the bear. I need to outrun you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, and I think that's in business. You, you need to, you know, be so maniacally focused and almost even paranoid about outrunning the competition. And it's not the big ones that are lumbering along. I mean, a lot of big companies get into trouble. You look at GE. I mean, it's got great management and they're working so hard but it's you get big you can get unintentionally just caught up in the legacy pieces of business that sure. you have vis-a-vis -vis these smaller nimbler companies that are um you know really displacing old businesses absolutely um, the analogy i like to use with that is is that um it's okay to see the whale in the ocean uh, and it's very beautiful. It's a regal animal. Um, it's awesome to, to watch. But the, the, the disruptors in your in your industry are the piranhas and they get to <laughs> it first. They get to it first. They're not there's no <laughs> there's sometimes it seems like there's no rhyme or reason. There's there's mythology in their craziness, but they get to it first. And by the time you turn your ship to get to whatever it is that you're trying to go after, whether it's that certain line of customer or or understanding of a new tool, the piranhas have eaten it up. They, they've gotten to it and they're all in it. And in and, and the I think you can use as an example, um, which is very current. I mean, Ford just fired uh, Mark Fields. Yes. He, the record profits. He was the golden child, turned around Mazda, turned around Europe. And, uh, you know, why is they're firing Mark Field, the golden child, handpicked <laughs> by Helen Malali, who came before him, right? and putting in the innovation person? Because Ford is not worried about GM or Toyota. They're worried about Waymo, Lyft, right. Tesla, Canva, Uber. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the ones they don't even see yet. So it is, and they're putting, they're, they're making major moves. They're, they're blowing it up. I mean, poor Mark Field. I, I like the guy. I thought he was a great leader. Um, I, and, you know, he got blown up because th that current phase attitude is is just not okay and yeah. you're going to look at this displacement for you know 100 years cars have been you know probably someone's largest purchase outside of a home and that whole industry in 20 years could completely go away we might just rent seat miles well you, more like air, airplanes i was gonna say uh i will find this and we'll put this in the show notes for our audience uh cadillac if you have not seen this this is a very interesting study Cadillac just researched a quote unquote Netflix model. So for three years, I think it was, they took um, customers in New York, San Francisco, I think a couple places in the Midwest, and they gave them an option. They said, here are three tiers of subscription models to Chrysler cars or to uh, Cadillac cars. You pay the per month rate. You get access to whatever is in that line of, of, of cars. 
So and their idea was, well, you think about a family, right? They need to go on a on a, on a long uh, car vacation because they're not going to fly. Well, they might need the ESV Cadillac. They don't need their, you know, their their small EXT, right? They, they don't need anything small. They need something big to be able to go on this long journey. Well, if that's we right, had a subscription right. model, well, then guess what? I can go to Cadillac and say, well, for the month of July, I need an ESV. And so they get it. They're able to pick it up. They're paying for the subscription basis and they can drive that wherever they need to go. And then they just turn it back in when come the fall, you know, the kids are now back in college. You don't need, you know, you know, a large SUV. We're just going to go back down to our, you know, the new, you know, version of the, you know, sedan. Right. And so if you think if you think that what that's going to do to the entire distribution. Yes. Yes. Of, of dealers and service agents, because they're now going to be depots. That's right. They, they're, and they're going to be handing in cars with drop fees and fuel and service and putting on ski racks and taking off ski racks. That's and, right. And it's interesting. So it is pretty dynamic. And I just think that for the leaders out there, that make sure that your business model strategy, your financial strategy um, can be actually be supported by this human capital strategy because you need the people to deploy those ideas very rapidly. And it, it, if you don't have that data, um, because like I said, you know, Chris, if I was running that grocery store and I met you at 16, I'd get a lot more out of you if I had you, um, you know, breaking bulk or cleaning up aisles than I did behind the counter. Sure. Um, and it was just sort of like, there's another person right next to you who's better suited for checkout. So let's all put people in the right fit. That's right. Um, even if it's change, I mean, maybe we're, we blow up our business model of the grocery store. We're going to do delivery. I'm like, great. Right. <laughs> you know, who, who should be the driver? Who should be the pick and placer? You know, we've got to, we've got to use that data to redeploy our human capital just as fast as we do our strategic uh, finance capital. Absolutely. Life. So, so a couple of other things that I definitely want to cover here. This is a fascinating conversation. There's a lot of different angles that we could take on this, but we only have but so much time. Um, so one of the things I'm, I'm curious, uh, uh, just to kind of pivot the conversation is, is your perspective on you're a Gen X or CEO. So you're not only managing up, but you're also managing down a generation. You also have a management team that you also work with as well. What's it like being a Gen Xer of a very large worldwide respected company and seeing the dynamics between boomers and millennials? And do you do you have different levers that sometimes you have to pull depending on who you're talking to, especially being the guy at the helm, understanding how your data works for others, sometimes having to even leverage it internally and eating your own dog food, so to speak? Oh, it it it, it is interesting seeing. um the uh, that 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 skip, you know, the Xers are sort of we're getting swallowed up. People talked about the, you know, the boomers. They now they're talking about the millennials. Very little time was spent talking Gen X. We're just sort of a, the bridgers between these two massive generations. I think the data just showed in 2015, millennials passed us at, you know, in, in the workplace. So I I do think, you know, Gen Xers are a little bit of that that bridge. You know, we, we, you know, can try and speak the language of the millennials. We can try and speak the language of the, of the boomers ahead of us. Um, it, 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 
I'll still go back to if, if, if those boomers who are out there, if they go down to core behavioral drives and needs, if you speak to someone's needs and bypass the, the jargon which might be caught in the, in the social mores, you get down to actually speaking to the person um, and you care about them as a person and you, you, you find out, even if you don't have a psychometric tool, find out what their needs are. If you do that, the, the millennial will give you, they'll give you a break. They won't, yeah, you might say stuff that's funny culturally for them, but they're not going to ignore you for it because you're actually making the effort to connect with them on a personal level. Um, and it, 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 may seem, it may seem odd at first, just like I started with the anecdote of the young man who said, nice job, CEO guy. And I was like, what a bizarre thing to do. Um, but you've got to break through the, those, those are just cultural mores that make sense for that generation, but it gets back to the kids today. Get past that, you know? All right. It doesn't matter, kids today. There'll always be a kids today. So they, they, need, to, they need to really find out the, the, the core needs of their people and care about them as, as individuals, and they'll unlock a lot of a lot of potential. Absolutely. So last question here. Is there any data yet that we're able to start looking at anything that maybe you notice that might be differences or some similarities there? I know we, we they're not there completely yet as a Gen Z, but is there anything that you all are starting to see or dive into uh, that's coming on the horizon as a company to start pulling data from the, the Gen Z uh, uh, world, obviously they're they're twice as involved in technology as a millennial was, um, and their their insights are you know it, it's very technological based. And um, I, I spoke to someone who uh, who was on our show recently who talked about um, technology being kind of the the speed of immediacy and how that's kind of even changing how we're approaching relationships, information, what we expect even from companies that we work with. But is there anything that you guys are seeing? I know it's early, but that might be uh, interesting to note about uh, Gen Z so far. Well, I, I, I know they, they can barely even hold a phone properly. Um, they, they, they really have an easier time FaceTiming and just talking at an object than they do holding it to their ear. And, you know, you see them, they're just as easy to be in sort of a, a group chat on Xbox as they would, you know, contacting someone. I, I actually asked my uh, son organizing a birthday party, who's 12, and I was like, can you send them a text? He goes, I don't know their phone number, but I've been trying to reach them on Xbox all day. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like, wow. you be kidding me. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, when you get him on Xbox, why don't you find out his phone number so we can send him a text? So you think text is modern. I guess they're going to skip ahead to maybe <laughs> um, these. And I, and I think the implications of that, if kids think they're playing together, if they're on a group, um, if they're on a networked game, they're like, oh, I was playing with him all day. And you're like, I, I, I guess you were in a virtual world that that's going to have huge impact on our workplace. Sure. From um, they're going to be so much better at virtual remote work 
that maybe it completely blows up commuting. Wow. And, and you don't even need offices that, you know, we're a hundred employees um, here at headquarters. And, you know, maybe we just need to be 40 because at any one time there's only 40 people here because most of us are networked in in some very meaningful and real way. Sure. Um, just as an example, I, we have not seen any structural changes, you know, from, you know, the bottoms of millennials to suggest that, that, that Z is going to be different behaviorally. Hmm. Um, from the, the core behavior. Now, the cultural mores will certainly be, certainly be different. Sure. So, so what things are on the horizon? What, what's the future look like to, to, to Mike and, and the predictive index? What, what kind of things do you think, uh, whether your, your, your company as a whole, or, you know, you, you'd like to share with companies about what the future looks like when it comes to what you guys are gathering, uh, from a data perspective, what, what's on the future, the things that, Predictive Index right now is is trying to position themselves to be able to really take a hold of in the next ten or fifteen years. Well, we're we're trying to we're trying to get metrics in in a real time way to to work on inspiring and measuring the sort of engagement and inspiration in a real time basis in your population. That we're we're. We're using some real-time tools now in our own company, and you can see week-to-week, month-to-month variations. Um, you know, our software was buggy in March. We had a we had a bad release for about ten days, and you could see the entire morale of the organization picked up in these more or less real-time um, measures. Now they're not as accurate, but they're they're more timely, and you can actually call a meeting or call, uh, you know, intervene in some way that I think getting that, that real-time feedback so that you have the tools and the data to, to really work on that inspirational engagement piece. Because if, if you can get there to manage your people on a more real-time basis, that's, it, it's no different from, you know, it, it, it you know, you look you look at your coaches and the first photographs of someone else's formations, and now you look at the sidelines, and uh, you know there's there's a quarterback going through a, a a Microsoft Surface, you know, watching clips that have been fed into them from the coaching staff up above. I mean, it's just it's real time. You're like, great, I'm going to change Absolutely. my offense, you know, every five minutes in response to what they're doing. We demand this of our sports teams. Why do we not demand this of our, of our own organizations that are interesting that get that real time data so that I would say it's real time inspirational engagement data. So we're working on how to hire, inspire and engage your, 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 the people of your future. Wow. Well, Mike, I, I think you and I could literally do this once a month because this there's there's a lot of fascinating, really cool things out here uh, that not only you guys are doing, but um, I think just overall, I, I think this is a a passion uh, of every company who really does care about their people, and you guys are built on just that. 
you're built on the passions you are built on uh, this idea of having, you know, the best, you know, work environments, you know, out there. And you, you, you definitely have the, 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 the legacy, the, the opportunity, excuse me, the opportunities that are, that are there and, and, and what you all see. And so I'm just very thankful that, um, you know, you were able to come on the show today and I, I love the tag, excuse me, the tagline that you all have better work, better worlds. Talk a little bit about why, why that tagline still is important today. Oh, it's, it, it really has to do with when I was mentioning um, Simon Sinek's remarks about the big why. It's, you know, we obviously, we, we obviously have this really amazing product which helps you understand yourself. You know, so what? But the, 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 the big thing is it, if you know that data, you can, you can become a better leader. You can understand other people better. You can ensure fit in your organization. And we feel if we do that by making better work in our own small way, we can positively impact GDP of companies, of people, of states uh, in, in, a, in a meaningful way. So I, I really feel that the people, the, the good work that the people at the Predictive Index are doing is we're ultimately trying to make better work and in our own way, a better world. And that, that mantra through, through what we're doing with human capital, is, it's, it just sticks. You know, we, we try to put it in an in equation um, so that people can actually just let it come from themselves. Like, what's your definition of better work, better world? And at our all-company meetings, people stand up and they, they talk about their better work, better world stories. And it's, it's really important to what, who we are, what we do, and more, most importantly, why we do it. Awesome. Awesome. Good deal. Well, Mike, thank you so much um, for your insights, for being a leader in this world um, who, who really cares about the people at the end of the day. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think what's really cool is, is that what's to come, I think what, what you all do and what you all provide, especially to our executive leadership out there who is listening. If you guys reach out and you say you say, hey, I think that uh, we should we should talk with with Mike, um, you know, let him know that you found his company through or took the next step through uh, listening to this interview today. I hope it helps you. And so, Mike, thank you for all that your company is doing and, and being a leader in this world. Chris, thank you. It, it was it was a pleasure getting to know you better. It was, a, it was a pleasure to have this discussion with you. It really felt like we were sitting on a couch chatting and um Please do let let any of your listeners know if if, if they want to have an experience of being assessed, just to just to have some fun with it. Just let us know. We'd, we'd love to help them out. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for another great episode, another great week, another great interview. Thank you guys so much for listening as an audience. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure that you go ahead right now and subscribe wherever you podcast. However you listen, you can make sure that you click the subscribe link and you'll get this show every single week. I want to thank Mike Zanny and his team from the Predictive Index. 
Thad and Drew and everyone for taking time out to make sure that we were able to put this together. I want to thank Mike for his time. I want to thank the Predictive Index for providing us behavioral assessments so that we can learn more about ourselves, really, at the end of the day for so many years. And listen, if you have not had an opportunity, make sure that you tell us about what you thought about this episode. What did you learn? What kind of things are you thinking about doing, whether you're an executive in your company that you're going to institute based on this conversation, or maybe you're somebody who's emerging in their leadership and you want to continue the conversation. Feel free to find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Use the handle at High Level Wisdom. Now, listen, I got to give you this before we go. Next week's show is going to be incredible. I'm interviewing none other than Dr. Kingsley, who owns a clinical research company. Now, I'm not going to give it away right now, but I promise you, you do not want to miss next week's show on Tuesday. So what you want to make sure you do is make sure you subscribe right now so you don't miss it and you'll get the notifications. But I promise you, you will enjoy it. So with that being said, I hope whatever you choose to do today, that you do it at a high level. Take care and have a great day.